Again, it's a real um, blessing and privilege to be with you, to be again, um, to be amongst you again. Um, one of the privileges that I have uh, as someone who visits many churches is that while I'm in the church, uh, I am reminded that uh, I belong. And um, for, for those of us who have been called to bring the gospel of Christ cross-culturally, it's very important, this whole sense of belonging, that you belong to the church and that the church is sending you, caring for you, that there's friendship in the church. And, and I'm just very grateful, and I'll speak uh, not only for myself, but on all the other uh, people that are here working cross-culturally. So thank you for that. Um, as we come to the Word of God, I pray again that we would uh, open our hearts and minds, that we would submit to the Word and let the Word speak to us where we need to hear it so we can be encouraged or challenged or lifted up or convicted. So uh, let us open our hearts to the Word of God. Uh, we turn to the Gospel, now to the letter uh, uh, of John, his first letter, the first few verses. Uh, Jesus, the living Word. Jesus, the living Word, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Hear the Word of the Lord. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. History tells us that the Apostle John, before being exiled to the island of Patmos off the coast of Turkey, resided in the city of Ephesus, providing leadership and pastoral oversight for the churches in Asia Minor. And it is to these churches that he writes these three letters. And he defines the purpose for writing these letters very clearly and, and simply. Uh, he writes them, first of all, to reassure them of eternal life. He says that in 1 John verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. Fairly straightforward. He also writes to expose deceptive and cunning people in the church who were promoting uh, a different kind of teaching or additional teaching. 1 John chapter 2, verse 26, he says, I'm writing these things to you uh, uh, to warn you about those who are trying to lead you astray. And these men, they refer to themselves as the knowing ones. And they argued that true spiritual enlightenment is only possible through this higher mystical superior knowledge apart from Christ and his teaching. Uh, moral conduct was really not essential nor important. And this teaching, of course, attacked the very heart of Christ, the very heart of Christianity, by ignoring and, or, or denying the necessity of the incarnation, 
the true nature of man, the necessity of the atonement of Christ and godly conduct. It is somewhat like the New Age movement, which all of us have had to deal with at some time, where people kind of define their own spirituality, define their own God, you know, so that they can uh, actually do what they want to do and worship how they want to worship. And so John, with with a great sense of urgency, neglecting a traditional greeting uh, or introduction, begins his defense by stressing this foundational truth about the Christian message. Jesus, the living and enduring word. And my friends, this message can never change. When we change this message, we bring great peril to the people of God And the church cannot survive unless this message stays intact. Uh, The visible church, you know, changes all the time. People leave the visible church. Sometimes they move to a different congregation. Sometimes people move from the visible church to the invisible church. People get older. But the visible church changes constantly. But the church, but the message can never change. And this is one of John's greatest points in this letter. The message can never change. Uh, When Ian Jones and Chris Morrison spoke on uh, Matthew chapter 5, on being light and salt, that is predicated on the fact that this message can never change. Because if you change this message, you, you have no salt and you have no light. So with this, we come now to our first point, through the eyes of John, verse 1. Through the eyes of John, verse 1. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. What did John here see, look at, and touch? What did he see that was from the beginning, as he says? It is the word of life, and it is rather an odd way of introducing a person, except that this person is Jesus. And with this statement, he wants to make absolutely clear that Jesus, the word of life, has always existed. So before his birth, before his incarnation, Jesus existed as the eternal word of life. He was present at the very beginning. When you turn to Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, we read this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then in verse 3, we read this. And God said, the word of life spoke, let there be, and there was. This is why John begins his gospel with these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then he says, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And then in in verse 4 he begins by saying, in him was life. In him was life. And then, of course, verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
The purpose of verse 1 is to make absolutely crystal clear that Jesus, before his incarnation, becoming a man, was, is, and always will be the word of life. This is the reason why John does not begin his opening statement with who was from the beginning, but with that which was from the beginning. And his word choice is very intentional, making sure they understand that before creation, before time, and before any history, Jesus, the word of life, with all its implications, was present. And so the point is that Jesus did not become God, or is a God, but has always been God, and will always remain God. This is the one John saw with his eyes. He heard with his ears, and he touched with his own hands. And what he proclaims is objective truth. It's an objective fact. It's not some imagination or some spiritual fantasy. This is why Peter says the same thing in Acts chapter 4, verse 20, in response to the Pharisees uh, for preaching about the resurrection of Christ. Peter says, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen. I saw him with my own eyes. I heard him with my own ears. And I touched him physically with my own hands. This is not a fairy tale. It's not a made, man-made story. The same Jesus, the same uh, Jesus, the apostle that known as a man, was the same Jesus after his resurrection. He was not a ghost, as Jesus himself reminds them in Luke chapter twenty-four, verse thirty-six. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said. Peace be with you. Then they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why are you troubled? And why do you have these doubts rising up in your mind? He says, Look at my hands. Look, look at my feet. It is me, myself, that is standing among you. Go ahead, touch me. Feel me. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as I have. That really happened. So John and his friends proclaim the risen Jesus, the word of life, an historical fact. Why else would ancient historians have even bothered to mention Jesus? The Roman historian and orator Tassius who lived from 55 to 120 AD, is acknowledged as one of the best historians of his time. And he writes this of the sequel to the fire of Rome in 64 AD. He says, Therefore, to squelch the rumor that Nero had started the great fire of Rome, Nero Nero created scapegoats and subjected to the most refined tortures those whom they commonly called Christians, hated for their abominable crimes. Their name comes from Christ, who during the reign of Tiberius had been executed by the 
procurator Pontius Pilate. Suppressed for the moment, the deadly superstition broke out again, not only in Judea, in the land which originated this evil, but also in the city of Rome. Flavius Josephus, born in 37 AD to a Jewish priestly family and later adopted into the family of the Roman Empire, Vespasian writes this. At this time there was Jesus, a wise man, for he was one who performed works and a teacher of people who received the truth with pleasure. And he stirred up both Jews and Greeks. And when Pilate condemned him to the cross, since he was accused by leading, by the leading man among us, those who had loved him from first did not desist. And until now, the tribe of Christians, so named from him, is not extinct. There would be no Christian tribe of, of, of Christians without the risen Jesus, the living and enduring word of God. We would not be sitting here if it was not an historical fact. Because of this, the Christianity will never be extinct. There will always be a tribe of Christians, and it is actually growing throughout the world. Do you think we and you and I would be here today if Jesus did not actually rise from the dead? The risen Jesus, the word of life, and his historical fact is indispensable to our faith. For without it, there is no Christian faith. There is no Christian message. I'm in Belgium, and, and, and David is in, in, in Burkina Faso, and Chris is here because we stand on this principal truth that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. This is why this message can never change. It can never change. If we change it, it's all. We may as well close the books and go home. And Paul makes this also very clear when he says, you know, if there is no resurrection, if there is no resurrection, your faith is futile and you are to be pitied above all men. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, Christ has not been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Now the Jesus the knowing ones are proclaiming is a different kind of Jesus. And throughout history, people have tried to proclaim a different kind of Jesus. I'm sure you have met people that have tried to convince you of a different kind of Jesus. Jesus, the moral teacher. Jesus, our shared example. Jesus, our spiritual guru. Jesus, one of the prophets. The historical Jesus, which is basically Jesus in the Bible without the supernatural. And then the Jesus of the popular magazines, such as the Times and Newsweek. The Jesus John is proclaiming is the risen Jesus, the living and enduring word, a true historical fact. This is the Jesus Isaiah proclaimed. Isaiah 40, verse 5, And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it. Isaiah 49, 6, I will make you a light to the Gentiles that you, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. 
Do you believe this? Are you convinced of, of this? Isaiah was. John was. I am. And I hope you are as well. If you don't, then your message is not Christian. It is powerless. It is lifeless. It is hopeless. It has no salt. And it does not provide light. You cannot be a light to the, to the Gentiles and bring salvation to the ends of the earth if you do not proclaim Jesus, the living and enduring word, the only hope for the nations. It is a message that must and can never change. And this brings us to our second point, with the eyes of faith. The message of Jesus, the living and enduring work, is more than just recognizing an historical fact. It is more than proclaiming an historical fact. You must believe it. Like John, others had seen and heard and touched Jesus, the word of life, yet did not recognize him or embrace him with the eyes of faith. The Christian faith is more than just recognizing or admitting of an historical fact. It must lead to a personal confession and experience of faith and repentance in the word of life. The life appeared, says John in verse 2. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Notice that John uses the verb to see three times in these opening verses. And apparently the sense of seeing was, a, was very important to John and I think points to a particular event in his life that changed him forever. Again, you see the rational fact of the resurrection must lead to a relationship. And John not only had seen it, he had experienced that word of life with the eyes of faith. Turn with me to John chapter 20. And Jesus had been buried according to Jewish custom in, in, in the private tomb of his friend Joseph of Arimathea. John 19, 38. And Mary Magdalene, early in the morning, had discovered that the grave of Jesus was empty and had run back to the disciples to tell about what she had discovered. And then we come to John chapter 20, verses 3 and 4. And there we read, So Peter and, and the other disciple which is John, started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple, John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now when they get to the tomb, John uses three words for see, Greek words for see, to describe what happens next. Verse 5. He, John, bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Here John uses the most common word for uh, the, the, the verb to see. And it indicates basically that an object has, um, has impressed itself upon the eyes. So John walked in, he saw uh, the clothes laying there, and uh, he was confronted with this observation, uh, but he could not make any sense out of it, nor did he try to. He just made an observation. Uh, 
and there was no rational explanation for it. You may remember the tsunami uh, that had hit Japan, and when you uh, go on YouTube, you have all these people who videotaped it, you know, and actually you see this huge body of water coming at them, and they looked at it, but they couldn't make any sense out of it, nor did they try to. They just observed something that they couldn't believe was happening. That's the kind of verb John uses here. Then we come to verse 6. And then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived, and he went into the tomb, and he saw the strips of linen lying there. Now here John uses the word, the Greek word, that describes, or that gives uh, uh, the English word theory, to, to scrutinize or, 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 or to form an opinion about something that you see. Uh, and so when Peter entered the tomb, he began right away to try to figure out what might have happened to Jesus. The grave clothes had not been moved and were in perfect, unarranged, you know, in perfect uh, uh, order. But without the body of Christ, of course. So Peter is trying to make sense out of this. And so he's thinking, if, if they would have taken the body, why are the, the, the grave clothes still there? Why bother unwrapping the grave clothes and, and, and leave it there? Secondly, he might be thinking, if they would have unwrapped the grave clothes, why are they not lying on the floor? Why are they lying in perfect order? And so Peter's theories could not explain what was going on. So then we come to verse 8. And finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, John, also went inside, and he saw and believed. He saw and believed. And this is the third verb John uses here that describes that actually John saw with the eyes of faith, understanding for the first time really what had happened and for whom it happened. It happened for him. And this is the same verb he uses here in our opening verses, of 1 John chapters one through, uh, verses 1 through 4. So when John went in, he saw the grave close with believing eyes. And he realized for the first time that Jesus had risen from the dead and that what he had been talking about had actually happened. That he would be killed and on the third day he would rise from the dead to give life to all who by faith come to Christ and repent. So what, among, what about you today? Have you come to Jesus, the word of life, with believing eyes? Now I realize that we cannot experience what John experienced as eyewitnesses. That was a privilege for John and others, but does not mean we cannot have the experience of coming to Jesus with the eyes of faith. Peter makes this very clear in 1 Peter 1, verse 8 and 9, reminding people of faith, that they had come to faith through the work of the Holy Spirit, not as an eyewitness. This is what he says, though you have not seen him like I did, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible glorious, glorious joy. You are receiving the end the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So you see, we do not have to be 
eyewitnesses to believe in Jesus, the word of life. Listen to the words of Jesus himself, who said this in John 5, verse 24. Very verily, I, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. So John proclaims Jesus, the living and enduring word, a true historical fact that provides salvation to all who look to him in faith and repentance. Now, let me just talk to some of the young people here. Some of those who were born in the church have received the covenant sign of baptism. I mean, you may have heard about this week in, week out for 6, 7, 8, 10, 15, 18 years. But yet you have never believed. Maybe today is the day that you should believe to come to this historical fact with the eyes of faith. This is the Jesus John is proclaiming. This is the Jesus Isaiah prophesied about. Isaiah 45 verse 22. Turn to me, he says, which literally in the Hebrew means look at me. Look at me and be saved. All you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Again, do you believe this? Are you convinced of this? Isaiah was, John was, I am, and I hope you are as well. Because if you don't, then your message is not Christian. It is powerless, lifeless, and hopeless. You cannot be light and you cannot be salt to the Gentiles or bring salvation to the ends of the earth earth, if you do not believe in your heart That Jesus is the living and enduring word. The only hope for any of us. Now this brings us to the last point. Jesus the living and enduring word for the purpose of joyful fellowship. John says we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. So that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the father and with his son Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete, verses 3 and 4. Now, like the word to see, the word proclaim is another key word for John. Further underscoring the real purpose of his, his letter. Christ, the living and enduring word, is meant to be proclaimed, not only verbally, but it is meant to be proclaimed being lived out in fellowship. John proclaims what they have seen and heard to promote and to ensure Authentic, real, joy, joyful Christian fellowship. And how is that possible? Well, he makes it very clear here. It is only possible, when he says, when our fellowship is rooted in our fellowship with the Father and in our fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. Only in our union with Christ can we have fellowship with God the Father and with one another in such a way 
that it will produce Christ-like fellowship. In other words, authentic, real, joyful Christian fellowship. The false teachers were promoting a different kind of communion or community fellowship. They claimed that you could have fellowship with Christ while denying that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. And John says that's impossible. It's a lie. Without confessing Christ, without confessing your sin, without asking for forgiveness, it is impossible to have this authentic, real, joyful fellowship with God, the Father, and with one another. And these men claimed that you could have fellowship with God while denying Christ-like fellowship with one another. And again, says John says, that's impossible. Immediately following these verses, he says in verse 6, if you claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. This is why John concludes this section by simply saying, make our joy complete. Your fellowship will be full of joy when your relationship with God and one another is full of Christ, is full of the Holy Spirit, is full of his love. John remembers the words of Jesus well and basically quotes him verbatim. John 15 verses 11 through 12, Jesus says, I have told you this so that, you, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full, may be, may be com- complete. And then he says, my commandment is this, love one another as I have loved you. Jesus is saying goodbye to his disciples, to his friends. The cross is staring him in the face. And as he's saying goodbye, he describes their relationships in terms of, 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 of the vine and the branches. And he says this relationship will be evidenced by love, by the fruits of love. So basically he says, love me, love one another, love my commandments. John is saying, make my joy complete by being like-minded. Love God, love us, love one another. The power to have this kind of fellowship does not come from any religious system but from a relationship with the living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because of Jesus, the living and enduring word, we have the possibility of authentic, real, joyous fellowship with God the Father and with one another through Christ the Son. So what about you here today at Fort Worth Presbyterian Church? Is your fellowship full of joy? Are your marriages full of joy? Is your relationship with your children full of joy? Are you full of joy together? How are you proclaiming and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with one another and with the people here in your local community? This is the message John heard with his ears. He saw with his eyes. And he touched with his hands. Through the eyes of John, with the eyes of faith, for the purpose of joyful fellowship. Let us pray.
Oh, Father, how, how marvelous it is to reflect upon our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the word of life, who was there at the beginning, who spoke creation into being, who willingly came and gave, gave up his, you know, his, all that power. He, he, he left it all behind to, to, to become one of us. And he didn't look any different. And he remained silent even on the cross. He remained silent before Pilate because he knew that he had to endure the cross. He knew that he, he had to endure the anger of God so we could have peace with God. Lord, help us to believe we are people of little faith. Help us to believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead and is now seated on the throne and is building a home for us. Lord, help us to, to see him and to love him and to, to love one another. So when people look at us, they may truly see light. And when they touch us, they may feel his power. Lord, help us. In Jesus' name, amen.